Welcome to Speak Up, the Speech Pathology Australia podcast. This podcast series highlights conversations with esteemed contributors in the speech pathology space. We explore key issues in the profession in a short and easy to listen to format. Let's hear what this week's contributors have to say. I'm Tricia Chardon, Queensland PD coordinator. I had the pleasure of talking with Dr. Julie Chikiro, Speech Pathology Australia's 2019 National Tour presenter. Our topic now is on an aspect of improving the lives of adults living with dysphagia, balancing person-centred care and risk feeding. Julie, what are some of the key things to think about with risk feeding? Trisha, risk feeding is a really topical issue at the moment. Um, And I guess one of the things that we're really keen to do is support autonomy of choice. So particularly with the new aged care standards due to come in in July and a real focus on autonomy of choice, we're looking to um, make sure that we emphasise that as I think we've probably always done, but I think we're sometimes feeling hampered by the desire to make sure that people are safe and still have choice there as well. I think one of the things that we're finding from um, recent literature uh, that has been published in this area is that if we can improve supervision, and I recognise with staffing that can sometimes be challenging, and I think anecdotally the default when you have issues with supervision is to provide patients or residents with a a safer textural quality. So someone who perhaps might be safe safe for a soft and bite-sized diet is possibly given a, a minced and moist diet if we can't be sure that there's going to be someone there to supervise them. Um, that That's quite a common thing. And I think one of the challenges we've got with families in particular when they come in, um, and they might have explained how they visited their family member on the weekend and brought in some pasta from home, and that they, you know, that their loved one has coped very well with that and, and challenge us and challenge the facility as to why the, uh, their loved one can't have something more challenging to eat. I think one of the things that we can let them know is that they have provided that um, meal to them on a one-to-one basis and they are obviously also very familiar uh, with that person as well. So they're providing in effect one-to-one assistance or one-to-one supervision. It's really going to depend on the facility whether they are also able to offer those services for those more challenging meal textures. There may be opportunities to negotiate um, within the facility so that at least one of the meals per day maybe is slightly more challenging and to provide that level of safety that's required. And I would expect there would be support for that based on the new aged care standards there. So that's you know, certainly one of the key things with um, with risk feeding is that we really want to encourage that choice, but we're trying to keep them safe at the same time. For a long time, dysphagia has focused on safety for liquids. Risk feeding is putting the emphasis on food. What resources do we have to assess that? Yeah, that's a great question. I think as a profession, we really have, for a long time, the word dysphagia has been synonymous with liquids. And we've been very focused on aspiration, 
on chest infections uh, related to aspiration of liquids and quite often people are, are thinking about and referring to the pharyngeal phase of swallowing as well whereas the challenge for risk feeding really is more about the food textures and it's they are quite often the complaints that are coming through either from uh, the, the resident or the patient or from their family members who are looking at the texture modified food and whilst they might be compliant for a short period of time if it's ongoing that's where the issues come up. Um, now while speech pathologists are, are well aware of the oral phase I think in order for us to educate and um, to help family members and residents and patients and, and, and medical and nursing staff understand more about why those texture modified foods are the way they are, we've got to be quite good at understanding what the oral skills and oral capacities are for the different diets and being able to explain that. So even though we've got a lot of assessments for liquids and even screening tools for liquids, those same things don't are only just emerging for food. So there are a couple of tools um, that are available. Um, there was a, a tool um, that was recently developed in New Zealand uh, looking at uh, chewing assessment that uses a standardised biscuit, for example. Um, there have been, and so uh, in the the national tour, I, I talk more about that tool and uh, you know the, the benefits and some of the challenges associated with it. The other chewing assessment tool comes from the paediatric population and certainly our paediatric clinicians will be far more familiar with uh, chewing assessment tools because that's such a key to the oral motor development for children. Whereas it's probably not something that we are quite so used to looking at in a a really concrete way I guess for um, for adults and yet we quite often make those um, decisions as to what kind of diets um, adults will be taking. I wanted to share a, an example actually also as well of, of the importance of understanding some of the physiology behind the different um, food textures. So for example we often talk about not having um, mixed consistency, so thin liquids with solid foods for example. The reason we say that is because when it, it's an oral, orally very complex um, and challenging uh, thing to work with. So when you put something like a minestrone soup that's got pieces of carrot and pasta with the liquid soup in your mouth, the very first thing that healthy people will do is segment and use their tongue to hold the solids and swallow the liquids. Only once that has been done will they then transfer those solids across to their teeth to chew them up and then swallow them down. So anyone who has a dysphagia for liquids is going to struggle in that context um, because they may well aspirate the liquid portion of it. So this is why you might thicken the liquid up rather than saying, you know, you're not going to have soup anymore. You might have a thicker sauce, for example, so that you don't have that separation orally to, to be able to manage that. So that's where I guess we're trying to increase and maintain that autonomy of choice by looking at how we can adjust things um, to compensate. And really risk feeding is a compensatory thing that we're quite often looking at, uh, not so much looking at it quite as much from a rehab perspective, more um, when we're looking at food texture modification from a compensatory perspective. Are there rules we can follow or legal information to point families to about risk feeding? Yeah, so this is another really challenging and emerging area. There is some great uh, legal information um, that is on, that is searchable um, 
on Australian government websites that gives information about um, capacity to make decisions and also choice as well. One of the really interesting things uh, that I, I read and, and you know we can point to in some of the documents there is that we should be asking um, for for their choice at each meal for example that the capacity to choose could fluctuate over the course of a day so where they are really quite drowsy in the morning and perhaps not capable of making the decision that perhaps with whatever medications they need or whatever else, if their capacity improves during the day, we have a, a, a need to ask again to, to determine that, that capacity each time. So that's something that we're probably um, not as familiar with. There's been lots of talks about waivers of, you know, being able to, to sign forms and things. And really these legal documents pull away from that side of things. So certainly having enduring power of attorney is an important element to be looking at, but looking more often to um, to see where we can engage the person um, with information that they, in a format that they can access, so whether it's aphasia-friendly information um, with adjustments to the text uh, that might use symbols, for example, or larger text, um, and, and that might not, not even just be people with aphasia, that may also be people with dementia or people with English as a second language. We're looking to provide them with information in a context that they can understand and make a decision um, about. But yeah, there, there are in fact a lot of um, really helpful tools that are available and I share a lot of that information and where to access that information um, as part of the workshop series as well. Thank you, Julie, for sharing this snapshot of issues involved with balancing person-centred care and risk feeding. For much greater exploration of this topic, please check the SPA website for the National Tour Workshop, Improving the Lives of Adults Living with Dysphagia. We hope you enjoyed this week's conversation. Remember to subscribe to the podcast and share it with your colleagues. Thank you for listening and bye for now.